Right. If you guys have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 14, uh, verses 14 through 20. I'm super grateful to Tyrone the last couple years for, uh, or the last couple weeks for preaching. Uh, it was very, very good. Uh, I loved listening to it, and you can go online and listen to Tyrone's sermon. Um, it was one of those things where I was a little bit nervous having somebody else preach Revelation just because Revelation's a little bit tricky, and, uh, but yet I know that uh, Tyrone is a kindred spirit. And we have the same kind of view in that. So um, on the piece of paper that you guys have, there's a prayer that starts with glory to the Father. If you guys can stand with me and we're going to pray that. And then we're going we're gonna to read Revelation 14, uh, 14 through 20. And then uh, we'll be seated again. But if you guys could pray this with me. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers hearers and keepers of this word. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the throne. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar. And the angel who had the authority over the fire, he called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grapes for harvest and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden down outside the city and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. You guys may be seated. Uh, this is exactly the sermon that you want to preach when you come back from vacation. Just judgment and wrath, right? It's my favorite topic in the whole wide world, and I feel relaxed, so uh, we, can, we can do it. But um, I haven't titled a sermon in a long time, actually, since, uh, since the book of John, which has been probably five, five six years ago. And, but if I was to title this one, it would be called The Good News of God's Judgment, or the gospel of God's judgment, good, good news. the gospel means good news. And so um, we as Christians love the gospel, right? We love the good news of Jesus. We love to worship Jesus. And, and here we see the good news of God's judgment. It doesn't sound like good news, but when we kind of get into it, I think that it, it, it can become good news. We have here, what we have here is a continuation of a scene that, of a story that has been unfolding since Revelation chapter 12. It started with the woman and the dragon, and here we see these angels on clouds reaping people, and we've seen dragons and beasts and marks for Christians and marks for non-Christians, and we've seen all these things happen and unfold since Revelation chapter 12. And this scene, this is kind of like, uh, the scene is depicting the end of one empire and in the beginning of a kingdom, the beginning of God's kingdom. And in order for this transition to happen, there needs to be a change in leadership. And we all know, and we've all seen, that leadership usually doesn't give up as reins very easily. And here we see the final scene of leadership just being taken from the earth. The harvest is taken from the earth. 
And it's being transferred over to Jesus. And we'll see that next week fully. But all the be- there's, there's a lot of beautiful language in Revelation. In fact, one of the things I love uh, about Hadassah is every week she goes, Dad, I loved when you read the scripture. I didn't remember any of your sermon. And I'm okay with that. Because the language in that is so beautiful about God's kingdom. And yet, we can see that it is a blood-soaked language. It's a totally blood-soaked language. The empires of the earth fall and are destroyed. And then God's kingdom is divided amongst those who follow the king who sits on the throne and his lamb who was slain. The first bit of good news about God's judgment is that we, that we always must keep in the forefront of our mind. We have to remember this at all times because God is good. Is that God has, has been and is still attempting to show people His grace and mercy. He always has been. He, he is trying to show people His love and His salvation. He's trying to show them His goodness. He never stops giving opportunities for repentance to turn from Him. This is good news for us. This is very good news. His kindness extends to those who have opposed Him for a long time. Those who have gone against Him, who fought against Him in word and deed. His, his kindness extends to them, to those who have in harsh and evil ways beat up His children and murdered His children. His kindness extends to them. He extends repentance for all. In fact, it seems like God's motivation for the prolonged end of times in the, or the prolonged time of trouble is so that more people might come to know Him and more people might come to be saved. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a patient thing. It's a very cool thing that God does. If it was you and me, by the way, the world would have ended a long time ago. Amen? Like, we just, we just can kind of acknowledge that and know that. There has been, up to this point in the story... Uh, uh, since uh, since chapter 12, a lot of rebellion that goes against God. And we've seen in these chapters, just time and time again, God, uh, God has extended His grace or His invitation to Him. There's been much that's come against God in an attempt to destroy who He is or even maybe to discredit Him. But yet, God, being God, still gives His mercy. It is still extend- extended. And um, oftentimes I find that this world says, well, God is harsh and capricious. Like he's just angry and he's here to smite us. And, you know, you see the, the pictures of God in heaven throwing lightning bolts. I know that's Zeus, but like people have given that to God the Father as well. Like in just trying to destroy him or discredit him. And it, this is far, what we actually see is far from the quick and rash God that this world would have us believe in. God has shown unbelievable restraint and unbelievable grace even in his judgment his kindness is in his judgment as well as his grace and i'm not saying that i understand judgment or grace all that well but what i believe about god's character seems to line up with this we know that god is good not only that god is good that god is goodness we know that god is loving but we also know that god is love and so as we look into this um, good news of the judgment, we get to keep his character in mind as well. The second bit of good news in God's judgment is that he is the winner. 
He has already won. Even though the empires rebel, even though sin keeps peeking its head up over and over again, God's victory through faith has never been something to debate about. He wins. It's shown from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Time and time again, God shows us that He wins. It's simple, and yet because of kindness and because of mercy and because of the display of His patience, it seems like the victory is extended. It's like, so you're victorious, when are you going to be victorious? And His kindness is supposed to lead to repentance. And I pray for us that we don't harden our hearts, that we don't, we don't harden our hearts towards God, that we don't think, oh yeah, well, we don't, I mean, we, can, we can't know exactly everything that God's doing, um, but let's not harden our hearts toward God and blame Him for all the bad things that happen on this earth because He wants goodness for us and He wants grace and He wants us to have peace. And, and we know this because Jesus won the victory for us on the cross. Through His broken body and His shed blood, the victory over sin and its destructive effects have been once and for all broken and no longer hold bond over us. You can say it this way, we are cleansed by Jesus' sacrifice for us. We are made clean because of what Jesus did. And in the end, sin will not be able to keep us from God or from each other for that matter. Satan will not be able to destroy us through his evil and tricking ways. And even death will have to relent itself because Jesus defeated death and our new life is found in him and that life will last forever and ever where we will be with our king once and for all. Jesus, it is said in the scriptures, Jesus said this, that he died for the sins of the world. Sins of the world. That includes all those who opposed him, especially you and me, when we have opposed him at times. And God's judgment is not harsh. It's not rash. It's the most righteous. It's, it's, the, it's the best and most gracious judgment by far that we have ever been given. His perfect one, Jesus, His Son, died in exchange for our sins. And in this way, God's judgment shows us the extent of His love. It is, uh, we sing this song, it is vast beyond all measure. Jesus is victorious. And there's nothing that can stop His love and His grace. Because, the second bit of good news in God's judgment is that He's the winner. And we can praise God for that because His winnings will be righteous and just and loving and kind and His judgments will match up with His character. And that is a beautiful bit of good news. Not only that He wins, but it's Him that won. This is a beautiful thing. The third bit of good news about God's judgment is that we can learn that God doesn't just judge, He keeps us as well. It's not just judgment, but He keeps us as well. Those who are His, He keeps. Even though we may, uh, we may have to endure certain things, He keeps us. He protects us from so much more than we can imagine. I think of um, uh, Psalm 124. In, in this psalm, uh, as we preach through the Psalms, that this one keeps coming back to me over and over. If the Lord had not been on our side, then what? That's what Psalm 124 prays is, is like, if God had not been on our side, and I believe that we are given far more protection than we might ever imagine. Just because some things may be difficult, and some things certainly are, 
That doesn't mean that God hasn't been helping. Doesn't mean that God's grace isn't there. The psalm almost makes it look like we can do whatever we want and there's consequences to that and that God is with us because He loves us. If our hearts are attuned to God, then this is right and good that God just keeps us. We are, um, I love this idea. We are under judgment, but we are favored in His sight. And that's a beautiful thing because we, what we know of God and His love. There's this idea out there, my, my dad used to say this, like bring in the Marines and God will sort them out. Like that was his saying, right? And he's not the only one I've heard say that. But there's this idea that God will sort it out in the end. And it appears that that saying is true. God will sort it out at the end. God will sort it out. It doesn't dismiss our need to walk with him and follow him with the same grace and mercy that he's given us. In fact, we get to be so filled with his grace and mercy that it overflows out of us into the rest of our lives, including how we treat one another. Amen. God in his judgment doesn't remind us of all that uh, we've done wrong. In fact, if we believe Jesus cleanses us from all sins and we have Jesus' righteousness, then he erases the wrongs as if they never existed. As if they never existed. This is how we get to treat others. God forgives and forgives and loves and loves without limits, and we get to do the same. But I, uh, I learned this uh, when I was at Peoria Home, because I think I, it might have even been uh, you who asked the question, Does this mean we put ourselves in harm's way? Absolutely not. That is not what it means. It means we forgive and we can love completely and forgive completely without renewing our relationship with somebody who doesn't want good for us. We can forgive those who have harmed us and love them and not need to be around them for that love and that repentance to be real. Sometimes it takes... Uh, we need to forgive the same person for the same thing a hundred thousand times. But for human forgiveness, it needs to be a two-way street. It needs to be a two-way street. God gives us his forgiveness. We don't need to forgive God for anything. Like he's good. He's always good to us. And we need to accept his goodness and his love. Accept, in a sense, we are accepting the love and renewal of a relationship when we're the ones that have broken it. He just keeps extending to it. And this doesn't matter, uh, this doesn't always happen with humans, but I tell you what, as I think about this, this question, I wish with all my heart that it would. That we could live in that two-way street where we just can forgive and love one another and get along. And so we get to strive towards that. Now, what makes me think of God's judgment as good news in this text is that the body and blood of Christ are represented in the reaping that is done. Wheat, the verses 14, 15, and 16, it would have been harvesting wheat during that time. And the wheat goes to make bread, which is represented by, in communion by the broken bread for us. The grapes that are in verse 17 through 20, Grapes that make wine. This is the blood that Jesus gives to us. These two elements we celebrate every week. We celebrate Jesus' victory every week. We celebrate the goodness, the good news of God's judgment, in a sense, every week by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. We have 
judgment here. We have God keeping. We see angels doing the work of God, reaping and harvesting. And this language throughout the Bible is, that, is language that God has used to speak of salvation, protection, His grace, His deliverance. And He's carried it here, and we can see it in the bread and the wine or the broken body and the shed blood. The truth of it is, is that the wages of sin, any sin, big or small, once or, once or repeatedly, the wages of sin is death. And only God made a way out. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speak to, the, to this to us all the time. Remind us of who we are. Not in and of ourselves that are good, but who we are in Christ and that that is good. The Bible reminds us of this and shows us that in story after story that sin leads to death. Sin leads to destruction. Sin leads to bad things. The natural wage that is due for all that has transpired on earth that is sin, which is a lot, is death. And yet, it is only Christ who shows us another way. Gives us a way out of it. It is through His body and His blood that was offered for us. God, I think of this this way. God calls our good deeds, the good things that we do, with the purest heart that we can imagine and the best deeds that we can have, He calls those deeds filthy rags because they're not pure enough. They're tainted with something, maybe a little bit of like self-worth or self-esteem or even self-esteem is not bad in and of itself as long as it's towards Christ. But maybe we're just trying to do it so that we can feel good rather than just to glorify God and allow that to happen. All those good deeds that we do, let alone the misdeeds that we do, the ones that we know that it's like, hey, this was not a good deed and we know it, right? That happens too. All of them, he exchanges for his righteousness. He takes our filthy rags and he says they're washed clean by my blood. And it's a beautiful thing. In this text, the time has come. In this text, we can see the harvest that is mentioned in many places in the Bible is at hand, but the angel is doing the work that God has commanded and is swinging the harvest sickle and the wheat and the weeds and the good grapes and the bad grapes. The time has come and the gathering has happened. The end is at hand. This could be um, a specific time like when Rome had ended. The first readers of this letter might have read it that way. They might have seen that all that has happened since Revelation chapter 12 could be a picture of what has happened to Rome and what has happened in Rome. Yes, you're good. You're good. I'm going to keep going though. Um, But uh, I will go, uh, but it will, I will go back to what I said in the beginning of Revelation. The, uh, the, our time in Revelation. The end times always have been. And yet, there's a final end. There will be a final end to Satan and his demons who torment. There will be a final end to sin. And it will be bloody like we see here. And there will be a final end to death. And praise Jesus for that. Amen? We can see that there will be blood. In fact, I believe this to be one of the bloodiest scenes in the entire Bible. Those who think, I've heard many people over the years say, the Old Testament is bloody, the New Testament is not. They would be disproved by this one text alone. And, And it's not only disproved by this text. But there is so much blood in this text, it's 1,600 stadia worth. If you do the math, I'm sure some of you have it in your Bibles uh, at the bottom there. 
This is almost, this is like 194 miles, or they say, give or take 200 miles worth of blood. And it's not just an inch or two of blood. It's not like a trickle that runs a long way. It's his blood as high as the horse's bridle. This is a lot of blood. And this is the harvest in the wine press of God's wrath. It is a bloody affair. This blood, all this blood, this very, very gruesome scene is followed up by worship that we will see next week at the beginning of chapter 15. And this has always baffled me. This has always baffled me. I won't pretend to understand or, and I won't pretend to get around the blood, but the blood is said to flow from the wine press of God's wrath and the blood flows and flows like a river and and a rather large river at that. This is all, uh, it is all because of this blood that makes me think of God's salvation and his judgment being good news. The wine press is an act of God's salvation. God has poured out his wrath. God has shed his blood and he did this on the cross. This makes me think that the wine press is the cross and Jesus went to the cross willingly to suffer in our place, to take the punishment that we deserve And the punishment that we deserve are the wages for our sin is death. The wine press has all this blood that flows out. A lot of blood. As Jesus was crucified, his blood was poured out. This picture in this section of Revelation reminds me of how unbelievably big and vast God's love and his grace are for us. I also think all the sins of the world are vast. But how much more vast is God's grace for us? The wine press and the harvesting floor have been seen in scriptures as a scene of salvation. And I don't see why this can't be yet one more example of God's salvation in Christ. And that's what makes this amount of blood so impressive. Let me put it this way. Jesus' blood is what washes all our sins. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus says that we not only need to keep the Ten Commandments, but we need to keep them perfectly in our heads and in our hearts with no other deceit around them. And we need to be perfect. Jesus goes on to say we need to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus uses this language to show us the impossibility of us saving ourselves. The fact that our sins are exposed instead of being shameful is actually a huge grace. We shouldn't get frustrated by this, but excited by it and blessed by it because Jesus' blood does what? It washes away our sins. How many of them? All of them. All of our unrighteousness is washed away. And what does he do? He gives us his sinless life. He gives us his righteousness. Just thinking about myself this morning as I wrote this. I have an impressive amount of sin. I desire to be cleaned from that sin. And the fact that a massive amount of blood flows from the wine press of God wrath leads me to believe that there is enough blood provided for the grace that is needed for me and for you. There's enough blood to cover all our sins. Sin is great and it is damaging. But you know what's better? Grace. It's greater And the provider of this grace is even greater still, and that is Jesus. There is good news in God's judgment. There is great grace in God's judgment. There is great forgiveness in God's judgment. And there is great patience in God's judgment. 
In this story that we've seen since chapter 12, we know that he wins and he tells us that in a thousand ways. And in this story, we can see that God wants to save us, but we also see what it looks like to resist him. And so this is what I ask of us, Grace and Mercy Church, at the end of this message. Let us come to humility to the blood of Jesus. Let us, let us live with humility, not only today, but each and every step that we take. In a sense, let us live in the river of grace that only Jesus can provide through his broken body and his shed blood. And in that, we can see the beauty of God's judgment because his judgment over us, his banner over us, is love. So Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for uh, judgment, even though we don't understand it and sometimes it perplexes our heads, Lord. We do thank you for it. We know that there is good news in it. Lord, we thank you for your patience and your kindness. And Lord, please lead us in your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.